dive into First uh, Corinthians, and I, I, I have to say this too. When I come here, um, I used to appreciate you guys so much because even Rosa's prayer. Thank you, Rosa. I, I, preaching brings out the worst in me. Um, it brings out all my insecurities. Okay, and that's what I feel like I'm bringing this morning is is all of Rod's insecurities. But then as I'm driving here. Thank you for letting me just be a weak person, okay? All right, 1 Corinthians. And as you're turning there, just let me just, uh, just say a few things by way of introduction. Um, Matthew 28, when Jesus tells his disciples to go, to go, to go all over the world, um, the gospel's now going cross-cultural, because really up until this point, the kingdom of heaven has been very provincial and, and Middle Eastern and rural and almost nomadic. And any time it went outside the land of Israel, it went east. But now the kingdom of heaven is going west. It's, it's, it's coming to our world, into urban settings like Rome and Ephesus and Athens and right into the heart of Western civilization which possesses a whole different way of looking at the world, a whole different lifestyle, a whole way, different way of doing life. It's, it's a self-indulgent world. It's a highly individualistic world. It's a competitive world. It's a world that's obsessed with celebrity. It's this survival of the fittest, bestest, prettiest world. How is the gospel going to do in this, in this part of the world? And Matt probably informed you last week that Corinth had its own distinctive traits. I mean, this is a great port city. It's the commercial center of the world. It actually sits on the crossroads of world trade, where trade flows in and out from Rome all the way to Persia. So if you want to make a, a modern-day equivalent, this is New York City or Amsterdam or New Orleans. Um, it's wealthy, decadent. Diverse, theaters, arenas, spas, Romans, Greeks, Jews, people from all over the world are here in this city. It's pluralistic, meaning every idea, every philosophy, every religion is here. In fact, I don't know if you know what the word neochorus means. Does anyone know what that means? Well, what uh, maybe the Vatican is to the Roman Catholic Church it's neochorus. Rome is neochorus to Catholicism. It, neochorus simply means the world headquarters for a specific religion or the worship of a specific God. Does anybody know what God Corinth is neochorus to? Take a guess. Think sex. Sorry. <laughs> Aphrodite. Okay. Which, yeah, did you get it? <laughs> I love it. Um, well, hey, it's a port city. I mean, it's, it's, it has its Bourbon Street. It has its red light di- district. In fact, I think Matt probably told you that um, Corinth became a slang root word for to fornicate. A Corinthian girl in, in the Roman Empire was a term used for a woman who was extremely promiscuous. It's places like Corinth that the early church set its sights on and said, 
we're taking the gospel there. Right in the heart of it. Didn't set up shop in the hills. Didn't stay in the comforts of Jerusalem. It went to the heart of the New York cities, the Parises, the Amsterdams, the red light districts, and it set up shop. And churches were born. We live in Corinth. That's why we're studying this book. Corinth is our world. I like what Ravi Zacharias said when he said, the 21st century is more like the first century than any century since the first century. I mean, when you look at our world, pluralism abounds. I mean, we're surrounded by every kind of thought, every way of life, every lifestyle. Aphrodite is alive and well in our culture. Not only can we go to any city and in almost any corner on any street to find it, but we have technology where we can carry Aphrodite around in our back pockets. It's a multi-billion industry. We live in the commercial center of the world. Wealth and the prosperity has produced this enormous amount of indulgence in sport and entertainment. Celebrityism, I think, defines our culture. We obsess. We obsess with over being the best and being the prettiest and being the smartest. Be encouraged. The gospel thrives in Corinth. But not without a cost. Because the question becomes, when the gospel is planted in places like Corinth, who influences who? Does the church influence the culture, or does the culture influence the church? And see, the Corinthian church is coming out of this pagan setting, and it's struggling at shedding its clothes. It's losing the battle to culture. The culture is shaping them instead of them shaping the culture. And as a result, serious problems arose in the church, and Paul has to address these things. And this is the purpose of the whole letter to the church in Corinth. So let's stand today for the reading of God's word. Primarily going to look at chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 10. I will dabble into chapter 2 as well. But I'll leave that for your study this week. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My family, my brothers, my sisters, some from Chloe's household have tattled on you. That there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Cephas, by the way, is who? Peter. Still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that not one of you can say that you are baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptize, baptize the household of Stephanus. You can tell when you're reading this. He's, this is a letter, folks. This is a letter, okay? 
He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where is the Torah teacher? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, and God was pleased to the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Yes, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to to the Greeks, but to those whom God called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. (laughs) For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And we'll look at more of this, but you may be seated. So, the, the most prominent problem in the church of Corinth, what would be your guess from reading this? Division. The They're split apart into different factions. In fact, In verse 11, where it says that Chloe's household has informed me that there are quarrels among you. Quarrel doesn't just mean conflict. It's a certain kind of conflict that actually results from competition. Corinth wants their pastor to be a celebrity. And then around the, the, the celebrity of their pastor then form a bunch of groupies. These groupies then form factions that compete against each other. My pastor's better than your pastor. My doctrine is more right than your doctrine. My church is superior to your church. Well, I'm glad we don't do that. The culture of Corinth is shaping the church. Because a culture that's centered upon competition and celebrityism will always breed factions, division, and rivalry. Now, when I read this this week, though, I do have to say, I, did, I, I, I got a smile on my face as I thought about Crossroads. Because in all honesty, I see a church that's very united. Bless God. I just bless God to be a part of a church where there's unity here. But when you still look at the church today, in our part of the world, it is seriously divided. It's divided by race, it's divided by social economic status, it's divided by denominations, it's divided by doctrine, it's divided by worship style, it's, it's divided by... A whole sorts of things. And again, I'll say it again. We live in Corinth. I can't tell you how many times when, when people find out I'm a pastor, their first question is what? What do you think it is? How big is your church? 
How big? How big is it? I always tell them it's 10 people. (laughs) Or, listen, if a church is, like, small, how often then do I hear them say, oh, but our doctrine is right. (laughs) See, there's, there's such this need to be the best or to be a part of the best. And how many churches today are competing against each other? I know people in this, in this town. All they do is they sit on the sidelines. They don't even go to church. And they criticize churches. And they criticize pastors. I mean, they've criticized me. My heart says, you coward, get in the church. Now, what's underneath all the competition? What, what's underneath this? It's pride. It's ego. Look at verse 12. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. This is so Western. I, I, I. Now, what does Paul think about all this? Well, first of all, he comes right out with his charge. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, my family, we're family, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no division among you. Now, the word division in the Greek is the, the, the Greek word schism. Schism is actually a fishing term because in that day they didn't fish with rods and reels, but they, they fished with nets. And when a net tore, that, was, that tearing was called a schism. Now think back to John 21. Peter's coming in with that load of fish, remember? Remember? 